Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here. It's time for yet another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. As always, coming to you live from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Susie. How are you today? Well, now wait just a second. Susie, you're with us, right? Yes, now I am. I'm well, thank you. Yeah, how are you? Good. Doing fine and glad it is March here in the year 2015 because that gives us hope that it will at some point be June. (laughs) Well, at least the days are getting longer, right? The days are getting longer and there is some hope that all of this white stuff that's on the ground and piled up high which is beautiful when it first starts falling, of course, but not so beautiful by this point, that it will at some point melt and um, turn the state of Maine into my preferred landscape, which is um, lakes and mountains that can be swam in and hiked and um, all that kind of stuff. That's the hope. Sounds good. Um, Well... Anything on your mind today before we jump into email? We I do of course want to give out the call in number which as always is 347 994 2981. Um anything percolating with you before we jump into the uh mailbag? Um the one thing that I wanted to add was I volunteer at an elementary school and um I'm put with different teachers um, with each visit. And I was just recently in a classroom where the teacher is focused on behavior and she's a yeller screamer. And you just notice that by focusing on the behavior as opposed to the child's lagging skills and unsolved problems doesn't get the job done. She's just continually, like a broken record, um, saying the same old thing and um, problems don't get resolved. So that's where the model is so great that it helps children um, with their lagging skills and unsolved problems, makes things better. I was uh, speaking in uh, Canada last Friday, and the same issue came up. I wasn't observing a classroom, but I was. Um, there were folks in there who were having trouble shifting from reliance on adult-imposed consequences to focusing on the problems that are causing the behaviors that they are consequencing in the first place. And, I mean, the simple line is, yes, you might modify behavior, 
by applying rewards and punishments. But if you want to solve the problems that are causing those behaviors, rewarding and punishing tends not to do that. Um, So my pat line is rewarding and punishing isn't going to solve the problem that's causing the behavior in the first place. Um, And that's not philosophy. That's reality. We really do have the choice whether to focus on what's going on downstream, that's the behavior, or upstream, the problems that are causing those behaviors. Um, What the research out of the Virginia Tech Child Study Center tells us is that if you're interested in changing a kid's behavior, both collaborative and proactive solutions and rewarding and punishing are equally effective. But if you want to solve the problems that are causing the behavior, they are not equally effective. Solving problems collaboratively is more effective at solving problems. So, as many people as we can help know about that, the better. And the research from that study is beginning to come out. It's posted, at least in terms of its titles, in the Research Etc. section on the Lives in the Balance website. If people want to find that, it's in the Resources section. Um, I got nothing percolating myself right now. So should we jump into some email? Great. Oh, do you want to just give the number real quick? I'm happy to give the number again. 347-994-2981. We good? Yes. Thank you. There we go. Now, what I'm looking for here is the email that is the most recent one, but I don't seem to be finding it. Maybe I misdirected uh, it. So as we're talking, I'll try to see if I can find it. Um, here we go. My son is a challenging kid, and he had a teacher last year that only had a plan A approach to discipline. Needless to say, it did not go well. We were blessed in that it got us in the care of a great therapist who has recently led us to the CPS model. We've gone through the ringer with different diagnoses from different physicians and therapists, ADHD, Asperger's, ODD, bipolar disorder, and anxiety. Goodness, that's the kitchen sink. Mm. Yet nothing quite stuck to him. He was way too social and emotionally aware to truly be Asperger's. He never went through a manic episode. He was always able to focus and manage himself in various settings outside of school. The explosive child opened my eyes to what we have been doing to my son and daughter, who is not as challenging as my son. It really made sense. I have begun practicing Plan B in my home. In the last two weeks, I have been really trying to listen and dig into my son's concerns and frustration. We are still struggling to not talk through his thoughts after we ask what's up. He actually complained about that to us today. guess I'm writing because I want to thank you and let you know that your work has really helped me see my son through the lens of my child as a child who needs my guidance and not one who needs to be disciplined. With that said, I want to make sure that my son's teachers and administrators are using the model as well. How can we approach them about the kids do all if they can philosophy? More specifically, 
How can they help them solve problems collaboratively and proactively instead of using Plan A? Any advice you have would be appreciated. Again, I love your work. It may very well save my son from all the adults in his life. I certainly hope so. Um, Susie, you want to jump in on that one, or you want me to? Um, sure, I'll I'll go first. Um, first of all, what a nice email, and um, I just wanted to say probably how scary for the parents to have had all of those um, diagnoses bestowed upon them. Um, but what we did with our challenging child was I um, arranged a meeting with the guidance counselor and the social worker um, and the school psychologist um, and also um, had copies of the book Lost at School with me um, that you wrote um, and tried proactively uh, before an incident occurred to uh, meet with them and just explain who this kid is and what what he's about. Um, they were the school was slow to make concessions and change, but they did um, give staggered deadlines, so um, that helped enormously. Or if my son, as I've mentioned before on the program, um, was upset in a certain class, he had permission um, again, proactively, to quietly leave the classroom, go down to his guidance counselor's office, and uh, calm himself down, and then return to the class. Um, And also the guidance counselor uh, agreed to meet with my son several times a week to help him get organized with his homework assignments, and projects. So by doing that, um, I tried to work collaboratively with the school and um, solve problems, and um, that's what we did. And... I'm betting you felt that um how do you feel it went? Maybe I shouldn't bet. I'm always getting myself in trouble if I bet what people are going to say. How did it go? Were you as successful as you wanted to be? Um tell us about the outcome of your efforts if you could. Um they the school was very um, based on conventional wisdom and uh, plan A sorts of discipline. So this was very difficult to get them to shift. Um, 
so I probably wasn't as successful as I had hoped to be, but there there was working together and we all wanted what was best for my son. Um, I'm always encouraging people as well to find someone in the school who seems like they would be the most receptive to rethinking how things are being done. Um, Now, sometimes it's hard to figure out who that person is, in which case you'll... Mom will end up going, I suppose, with the usual suspects, the principal. Uh, Actually, I say dad. The principal, um, school psychologist, assistant principal, school counselor. But sometimes it's good to get sort of the lay of the land in, in terms of what it takes to make things happen in a building. And it's always, if that person exists, a good idea to talk to them first so that you can think about how to go about trying to advocate for your son in the most strategic way possible. Um, And that's the only thing I would add to what you're saying. Uh, Actually, there's one more thing I would add. I would not lead with kids do all if they can. That's more philosophical. What I'm finding these days, and I used to lead with kids do all if they can versus kids do all if they want to, But a lot of people who had difficulty taking off their kids do all if they want to lenses and putting on kids do all if they can lenses um, got stopped dead in their tracks in terms of looking at a kid's lagging skills and unsolved problems because they got stuck on philosophy. So these days I don't start with philosophy. These days I'm finding the upstream, downstream metaphor to be much more productive for people. Um, behavior is downstream. The problems that are causing that behavior are upstream. We want to be focused on what's going on upstream, not downstream. Um, If all we're focused on is behavior, all we'll think to do is modify that behavior or medicate that behavior. Those are really our two options when we're totally focused on behavior. But when we're focused on the problems that are causing that behavior, uh, the universe of potential interventions opens up, including solving those problems collaboratively and proactively. So the trick here is to help people discover what problems are upstream. And it's not usually that hard for people to come to recognize that there are problems upstream And that if they focus on those problems, not only will the problems get solved, the behaviors that are the byproducts of those problems will subside. So I don't lead with philosophy anymore. I find that it trips too many people up who can't shift their philosophy so quickly but are willing to shift their focus from downstream to upstream and therefore from modifying and medicating behavior to solving problems collaboratively and proactively. So I hope that that is helpful 
to our dad who emailed in. Um, anything further to add on that before we move on to our next email? No, just not really, except when you view this as a learning disability, as a developmental delay, just like you would not punish a child who has a problem in reading or math, um, you wouldn't punish a child that is lacking skills. I'll second that. Here's the next one. Hello, I'm almost done with your book, and I'm wondering what you recommend for an almost six-year-old, as a lot of the advice seems to be for middle childhood tweens. Do you have experience with this approach in the young age group when it's obvious that the child is having more meltdowns than expected despite the child wanting to do better? I'm certain... His behavior is a natural byproduct of predisposition and home environment. I'm not so sure. The home environment is massively improved now, but I have achieved an almost 180 from my default behaviors through a ton of work, and Dad is finally starting to call me when he's frustrated and walk away. I'll admit, though, it's really hard to do all this work, and I have a full-time job. My just four-year-old daughter is much easier typical testing behaviors, but generally able to handle expectations with our teaching, coaching, and explanations. Um, I'm also looking into PCIT, which is parent-child interaction therapy, uh, and other supports that I think might be useful, but I really look forward to your thoughts on the above. Thank you so much for everything you do for kids and families. You're welcome. And shall I take a crack at that one first? Sure. I don't find that this model is any different when I'm doing it with a two- or three-year-old than I do when I find I'm doing it with a 17-year-old or their parents who tend to be in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, or their grandparents who are sometimes even older than that. It's the same three steps. Goal number one, get the kids' concerns on the table. Find out. Pick a very specific unsolved problem, word it well, and find out what's getting in the kid's way. Number two, get your concerns entered into consideration. Uh, Make sure that your concerns are about how the unsolved problem is affecting the kid and or how the unsolved problem is affecting other people. Number three, solve the problem in a way that collaboratively and proactively that ensures that you've got a partner, the kid, a teammate, um, so that the concerns of both parties get addressed and so that the skills that the child is lacking are simultaneously taught. It looks that way with a two- or three-year-old. It looks that way with a six-year-old. It looks that way with a 17-year-old. It looks that way whether I'm doing it with a child in my own household or in my office or in a prison. It's the same three steps. And what I'm always marveling at is when I'm sitting in prison doing Plan B, helping staff do Plan B with a kid, an incarcerated kid, I'm always sitting there marveling at the fact that it doesn't look any different than when I'm doing it with a two- or three-year-old or with a six-year-old. 
It's the same three steps, the same ingredients. Um, sometimes the language has to be adapted so that we can make sure that the child understands what we're saying. Um, that's about it. Do adjustments sometimes need to be made for kids who have difficulty sitting still for the conversation? Yeah, but that could happen with a two- or three-year-old or with a 17-year-old. Do adjustments sometimes need to be made for a kid who isn't real skilled in the language processing and communication realm? And, yeah, we do it with kids like that all the time, but that could be true of a two- or three-year-old, but it could also be true of a 17-year-old. It's the same three ingredients. Um, doesn't really vary much based on age. Anything to add to that? Just to make sure that the mom, that the parents are doing all of this proactively, that they are keeping a log and prioritizing, um, using the ALSEP, making an appointment 15 minutes a day with their child to work on unsolved problems, um, seeing challenging behavior as uh, lagging skills and, and being responsive to that need, um, and that it's not the kids' idea of having a good time to make sure that you know they have the right lenses on, that children have legitimate concerns too. Here's another. I have just found the Lives in the Balance website and hope it's not too late for us. Single mom of a 16-year-old girl, high levels of anger and very low frustration tolerance. My family either dismisses this with the usual, I am not doing the right thing, or just by distancing themselves due to her behavior. Her ranting, anger, cursing, and complete disrespect for me has increased tenfold in the last two years. We've added some anxiety into the mix, a refusal to speak to anyone, and her behavior, which was once mostly directed at me, is starting to cause social issues. She has a lot to offer, but is suffering in school. I literally don't know where to turn and would greatly appreciate any guidance. Big question. Why is her challenging behavior getting worse? Thank you. Well... Uh, don't thank us yet. I don't know if we can tell you why her behavior is getting worse. You know, it's always tempting to say hormones, but I never say hormones. That's just what a lot of other people say. I think that uh, while hormones do kick in, I think that they can sometimes be overrated as an explanation for much of anything. Plus, I like explanations that we can actually do something about, and that's one we often can't do anything about. Um Here's what I'm thinking we need, Susie, I bet you know what I'm about to say. We need to help this mom use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems because um, disrespect is a behavior, um, anger, low frustration tolerance, those are behaviors. Anxiety is very global. Um, not speaking is a behavior. I um, totally get it that um, it sounds like things are rough between this mom and her 16-year-old daughter. But I think that the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems could help mom um, figure out what her daughter's lagging skills are, 
figure out what the unsolved problems are, the specific problems that her daughter is exhibiting high levels of anger and very low frustration tolerance about. Otherwise, we are still in very uh, global, generic mode, and we don't want to be in global, generic mode. We want to be identifying these specific problems that mom could be busy solving with her daughter. If all else fails, if the ALSIP doesn't get mom there, if the guided tour on the Lives in the Balance website doesn't help mom uh, engage her daughter in discussions about how to solve those problems, then I would recommend that mom seek out extra help from a provider. I don't know where mom is from, but there are uh, certified providers in my model uh, on the cpsconnection.com website, cpsconnection.com. And, um, but I think I'd start with the ALSIP. Susie, what do you think? Um, I agree, of course, with everything that you recommended. The only thing I wanted to add was um, the part about sometimes people, children need permission not to talk, and um, we've mentioned that on the program as well, that you can kind of go in through the side door um, you can get the child to talk about what it is he doesn't want to, why he doesn't want to talk. And um, sometimes they just need to be heard. Um, and I think the reason that things have gotten extra rough is because all of these problems have uh, piled up and haven't been resolved. So it's just sort of the perfect recipe um, for things to get more difficult. Those unsolved problems do have a way of piling up. Um Very hard to explain why things are now worse. I wonder if mom's 16-year-old daughter might have an explanation for that. But I would enter that discussion through a specific unsolved problem. And of course, um, mom, you're always welcome to call into the program if you wish. And um always happy to answer another email if that's the preferred modality. Let's look at a few more here. Hello, I've read the book The Explosive Child and we are following plan B with some success. We are having a couple of problems with our nearly eight-year-old daughter. The first is that she often won't discuss a problem at all. We promise we're following the steps of plan B. And the second problem is when she does discuss a problem, now I'm confused. When she does discuss a problem and we solve the problem collaboratively, the next time the problem occurs, she doesn't care about what we agreed to. We then revisit the problem as it is still unsolved, but the same happens again. Is it usually about it's usually about timing, going to bed or getting to school on time? 
are you able to offer any further advice, please? And that email comes to us from the United Kingdom. Hmm. Um, I got one from Sweden this morning, but that's the one that I'm having trouble finding. I don't know what I did with it, and I probably won't be able to find it until after the program. It was a good one about video game addiction. But what I did with it is anybody's guess at this point. Um, and I haven't been able to find it yet. All right. Um, I'm getting mixed information here on whether this kid will discuss a problem at all because part of what this dad, I think, is saying is that um, the daughter will talk about things, and the second I'm seeing that the daughter won't talk about things. I'm not sure what to make of that, but here's my usual guidance. There's all kinds of reasons kids won't talk. The most common is that the plan B isn't being done proactively. It's being done emergently. And I'm not seeing anything in the content of this email that tells me when the timing of the plan B is. And so that's the first place I'd start. Um, we have this dad promising us that they're doing the steps of plan B. I'm just hoping the dad is doing the steps of plan B proactively, not emergently. My next stop would be, I hope the unsolved problem is being worded well. Um, because poorly worded unsolved problems can stop us dead in our tracks, and the plan B will go nowhere. We want to make sure we're not talking to the kid about her behavior. We want to make sure we're not throwing any theories at her. We want to make sure the unsolved problem is split, not clumped. And we want to make sure that the unsolved problem is specific. That's where I'd start. Um, there are some other reasons that a kid won't talk, but now let's go to the second part here, and that that is that the next time the problem occurs, the daughter doesn't care about what they agreed to. Now, here's the tricky part about that. The solutions we are trying to come up with are solutions that would pr solve the problem durably so it doesn't come up again. We're not looking for solutions for what the child should do the next time the problem comes up because then we're back in the heat of the moment again. We're looking for solutions that solve the problem durably so it doesn't come up again. And so we might need to do a little bit of fine-tuning on the timing of Plan B if it's being done emergently, uh, on the wording, perhaps, of the unsolved problem, and we want to make absolutely certain that we are focused on solving the problem so it doesn't come up again instead of coming up with a solution for what happens if the problem comes up again in the first place. Susie, anything to add to that? Uh, timing was what came to my mind um, and making sure that all of this was proactive. Uh the other thing was that the first solution doesn't always get all the concerns on the table and to try again that it's incremental steps, um, but 
that Plan B is a process, and by doing that with their daughter, she's seeing that they're problem-solving partners and trying to um, solve problems together, not something that's being done to her. Good. Uh, we, I want to give our the phone number one more time. We've been slow on calls lately. I'm not sure why. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's my travel schedule that makes the program a little less reliable than usual. I take full responsibility for that. But the call-in number is 347-994-2981. We have another email here from Germany. Are you ready? I'm ready. I stumbled across your website and approach by coincidence. I bought the book and started reading, but I do get overwhelmed a little. Our story is as follows. My husband and I have three children. The eldest daughter is nine. We adopted her when she was 13 months old. She has always been different. And we know she suffers from fetal alcohol syndrome and post-traumatic stress disorder. She has an IQ of around 70, is very aware that she's not able to do things as well as other children. For example, she can't read even though she's in the third grade, which aggravates her a lot. But on the other hand, she simply doesn't have the ability to sit down and practice due to her other problems. We have now more or less found a way of making things work for her. Although it is not perfect, things do work. Our second son, now six years old, was also adopted, but uh, was only three days old when we got him. He is healthy as far as we know, but at the moment, but at the moment by far, he's the most challenging of the three. The third is our biological daughter, now two years old, um, but she was born at 24 weeks of pregnancy and spent the first three months of her life in a hospital. She is pretty okay now, some small issues, but considering her start, she is doing very well. So let me add an editorial comment before I go on. Wow. This mom and dad, their plate is full. Um, But now I'll keep going. The reason I'm trying your approach is my uh, three-year-old son. He has always been very strong-willed. He had his first tantrum when he was six months old. Food didn't come fast enough, and he screamed so hard that he fainted and had something that looked like a seizure. I learned that that wasn't dangerous. This happened repeatedly until he was about two years old. When something went wrong in his eyes, he screamed so hard. He had complete blackouts and went blue around the lips. Nowadays, he doesn't faint anymore, but screams, hollers, kicks, throws things, calls me names, etc., Everything we tried didn't work. Reasoning, detentions, bonus systems, you name it. He simply does not respond to anything. Now he's starting to call his older sister stupid because she can't read. He almost can, although he hasn't started school yet. Things that set him off. Here we go. If we ask him to help with chores, for example, setting the table, picking up his room. If his older sister teases him, or sometimes if she only accidentally touches him. If he isn't allowed things he wants to do, for example, playing outside after dinner, watching TV, also getting dressed and brushing teeth in the morning, getting ready for bed in the evening. I mean, I think it's normal for a kid not to be happy about all of this. I definitely wasn't when I was a child, but it is not normal in my eyes to run away, hide, or start yelling at the top of your lungs, swearing and throwing stuff any time any one of these things are asked of him. 
I I do believe he can't act differently, because I also know he can be a very sweet and gentle little boy, but where do I start finding out what his real problem is? I have no idea whatsoever. Any hints for me? Susie, you want to take a crack at that one, or you want me to take a crack? Um, I can, I can try. Go um, for it. Just to make sure that she has the right lenses on, um, that children do well if they can, and if they can't, something must be getting in the way. Um, I think what we said to another emailer um, about the ALSEP and prioritizing the difficulties, um, spending fifteen min- at least 15 minutes a day with your child uh, working on these unsolved problems, um, trying to be responsive to the hand you've been dealt. They... Um, certainly have a lot going on, and um, it sounds like, you know, a, a difficult situation, but that's the thing about the model is that it it gives you hope, and um, it's never perfect, but it does get better. Well, and the things that I, I am right on board with you, I think that the ALSEP would be the first place I'd start. Actually, the first place I would start would be on the seizure piece. I um, am not sure who told mom that it wasn't dangerous. But anytime I see the word seizure, along with the words I was told it wasn't dangerous, I sometimes think that it might be a good idea to get a second opinion just to make sure. Um, Whether what he's having is seizures, of course, I can't say. But And of course, on this program, Um, We are kind of limited to dispensing advice that's related to the model, but um, whenever I see the words seizure and it's not dangerous, um, that sounds like something I'd want to make sure of, both the seizure part and the not dangerous part. Um, But it seems to me that the ALSIP, mom's got a good jump start on unsolved problems. She's got the behaviors he's exhibiting nailed down pat, but that's the not the most important part, even though um, that's the part that that often causes people to recognize that their child is stuck. Um, This boy is letting her know he is stuck in ways that are rather extreme. Um, But she does have a good jump start on unsolved problems here. The expectation is that he set the table. The expectation is that he pick up his room. The expectation is that uh, he has the expectation that he play outside after dinner. He wants to watch TV. The expectation is that he get dressed and brush his teeth in the morning and get ready at night. I feel the unsolved problem section of the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problem filling up before our very eyes. The next thing mom would need to do is Well, I think she should take the guided tour for parents in the uh, parent section of the Lives in the Balance website. It's in English, but um, unless mom had somebody write this email for her, her English is pretty good. I think it'll work. 
because I especially want the mom to know how to use the ALSUP. She'll find that in the second section on the guided tour. And I want mom to know how to do plan B. She'll find that in the third section. And as you were saying, we want to make sure mom has the right lenses on. It sounds like she's on her way there, but that would be in section number one of the guided tour. And then mom will be well-positioned, I hope, to try solving some of these problems collaboratively and proactively so that those behaviors that are downstream aren't happening downstream anymore. Fainting, screaming, hollering, kicking, throwing things, calling his, calling him names. Um, the things that she's tried, reasoning, detentions, bonus systems, those are occasionally effective at dealing with behavior downstream, but they tend not to be effective upstream. Once again, when we're only focused on behavior, the only options that make sense to us are modifying or medicating the behavior. But when we're focused on what's going on upstream and identify the unsolved problems that are waiting for us upstream, we just have to start paddling. Then a whole bunch of different options open up to us, including solving problems collaboratively and proactively. I am a bit reluctant to start with another email here. We only have three minutes left in the program, and we can't usually do justice to an email in three minutes. So we may end our day early today. I don't have any op-eds to uh, read here at the end here <laughs> that the New York Times didn't publish. Um, and so, Susie, unless you have something else you want to Raise here at the end. Maybe we'll end the program a little early. Anything still percolating before we call it a day? No, I really don't. Just pleasure to be here. Thanks, Thanks as always, for doing this. We appreciate your time and your wisdom. And uh, we'll be back next week with more of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Thanks for joining in, everybody. Take care. Take care. <laughs> 